of scripture reading this morning is from the book of Proverbs, chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance. For understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Sean, I love your Lego analogy. As I was turning to the Lord in prayer, I had an image of myself dumping broken pieces of my life in front of the Lord and saying, like, I need some help. And then I hear this passage read and think, yeah, I, I need wisdom. I need an instruction. I want to be a person that does what is right and just and fair. Um, I'm... I don't know. I feel like I'm young, so I need knowledge and discretion. I know that. Uh, so the joys of inhabiting both churches is typically in this space, I'm young. So uh, in all those, what we need, what we're looking for, all of the wisdom and guidance we need, Solomon tells us the beginning of wisdom, the starting place, the first step is the fear of the Lord. What does it mean to fear the Lord. I think the first question I had, at least, is, is fear the right translation? Or is it better thought of as perhaps reverence or, or worship uh, or honor? No, fear is the right word. Fear is the word that Solomon chose deliberately, and I think, I hope we'll see over the coming weeks that it is an appropriate word. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, of knowledge. Proverbs is written by Solomon. We, if you'll recall, studied the book of Ecclesiastes. Meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless, everything under the sun. Same guy. I, uh, I like to think of him as writing Proverbs as an undergraduate, just finished college, you know, because that's when we have the whole world figured out. And then writing the book of Ecclesiastes at the end of life where those formulas didn't quite work out the way he thought they would. Uh, I think all the wisdom literature, Psalms, Proverbs, Job, which we'll be talking about for the next few weeks, are conversation partners, all true when read and, and held together. You know. So he was, this phrase, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, he probably heard that from his dad. This is Psalm 111.10 reads, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have a good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. I love the idea that David heard that, or Solomon heard that from David, that he learned that from his dad, who would say that from time to time. I like to think, you know, Solomon, he is incredibly gifted, wise, um, is attributed to be the wisest person to ever live. And sharp minds can lead to certain arrogance, 
I think young princes in general probably struggle with arrogance. It's probably pretty common. And so I'm sure David had more than a few opportunities to tell young Solomon, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Not all this stuff you're cramming in your head, not the way you're smarter than your tutor. Fearing God is where wisdom begins. What does it mean to fear the Lord? That is a question I had a few months ago. I had this sense that understanding the fear of the Lord was important for me personally, important for us as God's people to wrestle with what it means to fear the Lord. And as I began to research and prepare, I was very surprised to find very little written about fear of the Lord. That there isn't, that I could find, very much by way of understanding what it means to meditate on the fear of God. And so I thought, you know, I really want to know this. And the only way to motivate myself is to make this a teaching series for two months and, and uh, afflict you with my learning and force myself to actually uh, meditate a couple, a couple months on what it means to fear the Lord. I, th- I think there's something in here that is deeply countercultural, um, but liberating, uh, something that is, is both humbling to us and ultimately empowering to us, something that acknowledges our fear uh, and, and gives space for it, but, but directing us towards peace. It's the way, I think, ultimately, that Jesus gives us of saying, seek first the kingdom of God, and everything else will be added to you. Put God first. Seek his kingdom, and everything you worry about will be added to you. It's this image of the kingdom of God being this delicious steak or, I don't know, wonderful piece of tofu uh, masquerading a steak if you're uh, to our vegans in the audience, out of sensitivity there, and, and then saying, you get the, you, that's the centerpiece, but you get dessert too. You get a full meal, because when you seek first God's kingdom, all the joy, all the beauty, the wonder of this world is thrown into. That it's not this ascetic reject everything that brings joy in this life. It's put God first. And then everything, the connections, the love, the beauty around you, all of it, will be available to you as well. But first, fear the Lord. What does that mean? Before we talk about fear, well, let's begin by talking about God. Whom are we to fear? When I think about God, and then I step back and think about my thoughts about God, sorry if that sounded like inception, but when I think about how I think about God, what I do typically is I imagine someone who is like me, but perfect, strong, all-knowing, omniscient, but basically like Superman or some super uh, person in there. And, and I want to suggest that is precisely the wrong way to think about God. When you think about God in terms of ourselves, it's what Voltaire said, if God created us in his own image, we have more than reciprocated. Him saying that as God created us in our image and we've never stopped repaying him the favor of creating him in our image. He's observing how people talk about God and tend to think of God as someone who is on our side, believes the same things we do, cares about what we care about, that we tend to co-opt God and bring him into our agenda 
rather than the opposite, which is submit to God and receive from him his agenda. There is no fear in God if we pull God along on a leash into all the things that we already believe anyway. As Anne Lamott once wrote, we can be sure that we serve a God of our own making if he hates all the same people we do. We can be sure that we're not fearing God, that we've created a God in our image if he hates the same people we do. This must be what fear of God means. Understanding, at least beginning to understand, how different and other God is. And one of the ways I want to illustrate that, and, and one thing that's helped me understand what it means to fear the living God, is just watching YouTube videos in the uh, Hubble image, the, the image of the deep space, deep field picture that the Hubble telescope took. Um, in the past decade, we've learned so much about the universe, but the more we look into the universe and the more we learn, the more we discover things we don't understand or know. That as our, our ignorance is outpacing our knowledge uh, in regards to the, to the universe, and the deeper we look. Um, so I'm going to show you a, a, a brief video. It's going to take, uh, you, you may have seen it, it's an image that the Hubble Space Telescope took uh, a few years ago. And just for context, just so you know, imagine holding a nickel, and that nickel being about 15 feet away from you, covering a small patch of darkness just below Orion. That's what the, the Hubble took a picture of, and that's what you're about to see. It's an area of space that appears dark from Earth because what we saw through the Hubble we're seeing for the very first time, and it's a patch of sky. It's a window into the universe that is so small to, from our perspective that it's a nickel about 15 feet away over a dark patch of sky. Look at what the Hubble saw. This is one of the deepest optical images of the universe ever taken. This is the full-blown Hubble Ultra Deep Field. And what's important to think about in this image is you're looking at a lot of objects in what seems like two dimensions, but really you're, you've got a three-dimensional view of the universe. The light from the most distant galaxies has taken billions of years to travel across the universe and reach Hubble. By taking this picture, Hubble was literally looking back in time to see the very early universe. First thing you're going to see down here on the right-hand side, there is a galaxy very much like the Milky Way. That galaxy is about five billion light-years away. So we're looking back in time by five billion years. But if we go farther back in time, nine billion years into the past, you see this little group of galaxies, in particular these two in the center, they are odd-shaped because they haven't yet had time to build these beautiful structures that we see. These are colliding together and that's how galaxies built up to become what they see today. Even farther back in time to 12.6 billion light years and what we see is this little red galaxy beginning to emerge it's red because we're looking at a galaxy whose light was emitted when the universe was about 10% of its present age. 
and it doesn't look like an elliptical galaxy, and it doesn't look like a spiral galaxy. This is a piece of the universe that hasn't yet had time to come together with other pieces to create the spiral and elliptical galaxies we see today. Hubble had looked back in time towards the final frontier, the dawn of galaxies. It had captured almost 13 billion years of history in a single image. There's an interesting word you may have caught that he used, which is the word create, as if the universe creates itself. He talked about going back in time because that far distant galaxy, the light just to travel to us takes about 12 billion years, which means we're seeing what was true about that long ago. And as I have looked into this, the, some of the, here's some of the questions that emerge in my mind. Did God create every planet with the same amount of care that he created ours? Is if you think about the trillions of stars in a galaxy with the trillions upon trillions of planets there, are, are those planets overflowing life with life just like Earth is, full of diversity of life? And you think, well, no. Well, then you think, well, then they're just lifeless rocks? What's the point of that? They're props in the, in the, in the universe? Why would the Earth be the only place full of beauty and wonder? Would he create a universe endlessly full of life and beauty that delights him? Or is he just making props? Does he delight in every sunrise when, he, when we see a, a galaxy as it was 10 billion years ago? God is there. He's present. Does he delight in every sunrise? Does he delight in every new species of plant or animals emerging all over this universe? Is he experiencing it in real time? The universe, that was a nickel-sized picture. We're going to go ahead and show that, that next video. This, this is just for context. This is, this is what we're going to zoom out in this video here so you can see what the Hubble saw eventually until you can see what it looks like in, in our night sky. And as I think about a universe so big, so beautiful, so vast and expansive, that we can only understand and see a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of it. Beginning to understand the size, the scope, the majesty, the beauty of the universe is just a shadow of what it means to begin to understand the living God who made it all. It is understanding God, thinking of God, is so much bigger and better and brighter than looking at the universe because God made the universe. He's its maker. But it's not a bad starting spot. And as I've been places without light pollution, and as I've stared at the sky and all the stars and all the beauty around us, as I've traveled to Tanzania and stood on a different continent and seen a whole new set of stars that you can't see from this side of the planet. What, how would you describe that feeling? What happens to you when you watch a video like this, when you stare at a night sky, when you're overwhelmed with majesty and beauty, when you stare up at a sky full of stars? 
Solomon called that feeling fear. And I think if you're attentive to your body, to your mind, what happens when you're overwhelmed with the size of this world, of this universe, I think you'll agree with him. And I also think that as you consider that, whatever fears you might have, whatever fears you might carry into that, seem to diminish and seem quite small when you consider your place in the universe. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. It's not fear like when you're flying in a plane and it suddenly loses altitude and you're like, feel this moan of terror or um, that phone call you get and you see it's the doctor and you're going to get those test results and you feel it's, a, it's not fear like terror or some, some of those other everyday fears we experience. It's, it's more about understanding just how small we are against the living God. This is the beginning of wisdom. Awe, fear, wonder. When we stand in a space of wonder, something begins to emerge out of the soil of our heart. When we understand who we are compared to God, expanding outward into the universe. Rainer Maria Rilke wrote a, 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 letters, a series of letters that are bound together under the title Letters to a Young Poet. I want to read this short passage as we head to the table this morning. This is his advice to a young poet. Be patient towards all that is unsolved in your heart and try to love the questions themselves like locked rooms and like books that are now written in a very foreign tongue. Do not now seek the answers which cannot be given to you because you would not be able to live with them. And the point is to live everything. Live the questions now. Perhaps you will then gradually, without noticing, live along some distant day into the answer. I love that advice. Live the questions. Live the unknowing. Live the questions now. In a world full of mystery, choose humility and curiosity over pride and certainty. Choose to understand that the God is just so much, more, so much bigger and more wonderful than we could ever begin to imagine. And as we come to the table this morning together as two churches, live with the knowledge that God who created the universe, God who revealed himself as the starting point of wisdom, has also sent his son to us. So as we prepare our hearts for the table, I want to just stand in silence for a minute. Prepare your hearts to take the cup. Maybe it's a quiet moment of repentance. Maybe we'll show that, that second video one more time uh, of just the universe and just consider God who made all this universe. Stand before him as we come to the table. Take a moment to prepare your hearts for communion.